This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. We are, are back um, this week to discuss Promised Land. Uh, before we dive too far into that, just wanted to let everyone know, uh, for those of you that might not have been following along on social media, we did uh, participate in Blackout Tuesday last week, so we've not really been posting a lot of social. We've not been talking a whole lot about stuff. But we did, of course, record uh, our episode covering the final episode of Trilogy, um, which will has been dropped at the same time as this episode, Promised Land. We are going to give you two, yeah, after almost a month of not giving you an episode, we're going to give right. you two episodes in one week. Is this the first episode we're recording since uh, Eleanor was born? My, our, our second? We, you, we, you, have, we, have we recorded one since? We did. We recorded we Trilogy. Yep. Okay. And you, and, and you talked about that during Trilogy. Um, but, I mean, I'm always game to hear you talk more about your newborn daughter so feel free no you you know there's not much to add um we're actually getting relatively decent sleep and relatively decent is it's very relative when when you're talking about a newborn but we're getting like good like two three hour chunks of sleep during the night and especially compared to how difficult it was with with our first with harrison this is a dream yeah. So uh, there's not much to report on that front. And, you know, like like with a newborn, like the first couple of weeks, they they almost sleep all day long. Right. Um, now, now, Betsy is with with her more because of breastfeeding and everything. But but yeah, but everything is going going really well nice. right now. So, yeah, it's just yeah, I, I, I honestly can't remember when we recorded yeah. the last episode. Well, and, and when we recorded Trilogy, because um, we actually only recorded it a week ago, which it feels like so much longer because so many things have happened. Oh, um, my God, you are right. Right? Um, but Jesus the, Christ. When we recorded Trilogy, um, and, and we spoke very briefly about everything that had been happening in the wake of George Floyd's murder um, and Breonna Taylor's murder and Ahmaud Arbery's murder, you know, there was... Um, a lot going on in terms of, I think, strife and 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 conflict. And I think that if anything, we can say over the past week, what we have seen is 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 much more um, positive and, and 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 much more affirming the you know the the sheer number of of protesters and and the the makeup of those protesters around the globe. Um, has been has been pretty incredible, and so um, whereas last week I felt this cloud hanging over me, you know, I'm starting to see some rays of sunshine poke through, and it's been really kind of um, life affirming. And I think that it, you know, for for both of us, it's been difficult to participate externally in all of the protests that are happening here in Chicago, and 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 I don't I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, I've felt a strong pull to be out there. And to 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 not 
be able to, um, you know, over concerns of COVID and just having a, a young child in the house and, and, and having so many other things going on. Um, I don't know. It's, it's so wonderful to see what is happening right now. Um, and, and the reasons for it all are still a pretty heavy thing to, to have hanging over us. But I think, um, that, that where we are at this particular current moment, um, if you focus on the good stuff, there's some really great stuff. Um, you know, if you focus too much on the other stuff, yeah, but you know, it's, 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 it's a different tone. I feel like anyway, for me personally this week. Absolutely. Uh, but I think it's also important to remember, and I've seen this expressed a lot on social media in a lot of different ways, even if there are people like you and me who can't go out and physically protest, there are ways that we can contribute in other ways. Uh, with our wallets, our words on social media, having difficult, uh, I, I, what, uh, m- what do I call it, micro-activism conversations with your own family. Yeah. Um, with assuming your own white families, you know, uh, right. I think that that's been a, a huge key for me too, Dennis. Is that is having those conversations with white friends, basically, um, and and you know, obviously, we're fairly like-minded individuals, but uh, but just to keep that conversation going, keep that awareness going, and also, you know, the other big thing is is just make sure you keep educating yourself. Oh, um, oh, sure, yeah. You know, this past week, some of the stuff that I've been reading includes um, The Case for Reparations uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which was an article that he wrote for The Atlantic, which I'd actually read before, but I just kind of felt like I want to read this again. Um, An article called uh, Slavery, Race, and Ideology in the United States of America by Barbara Fields, who's a very famous historian. She actually took part in the Civil War documentary by Ken Burns. And then uh, Stamped from the Beginning by um, Ibram X. Kendi, which is uh, just a fantastic uh, book that uh, I'm working my way through right now. Uh, he also wrote another book called How to Be Anti-Racist, which is, is a book that I know a lot of people uh, have been promoting right now, but uh, Stamped from the Beginning came prior to that, so I figured I wanted to, I wanted to start there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, you know, it, even having this platform with a podcast, it's important to kind of touch on it, you know? And, oh, absolutely. And, so, yeah. 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 We do not exist in a vacuum. And exactly. You, you know us. We, we've kind of dialed it back talking about this kind of stuff on on episodes but yeah it's worth yeah. mentioning and yeah i you know, i'm reading a lot of articles and people i'm following on twitter uh, but yeah i need to actually pick up a book and read right i know right it's felt hard to do for some reason these past couple of months i i know that there are some people out there probably just reading and and reading and reading and reading but for me for whatever reason the you know these past couple of months i've i've had great difficulty picking up a book i don't know why sure yeah it's, I don't know, weird times. Would you have believed it if a month ago somebody had told you that coronavirus is not going to be the story of 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Although at this particular point, my, my genuine fear, and I feel like a lot of people's genuine fear, although luckily I see a lot of protesters practicing safety and social distancing, is that, um, is that it's going to... It will be. It's yeah. coming back. It's, it's going to coronavirus it, it, part it, two. It's going to come back. Oh, I saw it put uh, coronavirus is not the story of 2020. It's the setting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking of settings. Speaking of, uh, should, should we should we dive into more lighthearted, lighthearted let's, fare? 
Let's do it. Uh, this week we are here to talk about Promised Land, which is directed by Scott Bakula. Uh, this is his third and final directorial effort on Quantum Leap, and his third and final directorial effort. Period. He I was going. I was wondering. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really. I'm. I was kind of surprised. You'd think after 140 episodes of NCIS New Orleans, he would have gotten behind the camera at some point. But maybe it's something he's just not as interested in. I don't know. I know the. It, I know he ended up directing three episodes because he went to Don Belisario. And I can't remember. I think this may have been in the Quantum Leap book that they put out like way back in the 90s of him going to Belisario and saying, hey, I, I don't want this to be a thing. I don't want it to be like something like we negotiate in a contract. It's not an ultimatum, but I just want to direct. Yeah. And, and the three episodes that he ended up directing ended up becoming more just like where they fell like in the schedule and as far as like what he had to do as far as like prepping for, for different upcoming episodes anyway uh so maybe yeah. it was just a thing he, he was a relatively young actor at the time at this point in his career and it was just something he wanted to get out of his system and he's like okay i did that i can i can right. say i did that thing and just not interested I, in doing it anymore i do wonder if and i anticipate that had the show gone on that he probably would have directed more um i, I have a feeling you know, even if it would have just been one episode per season you know, I could have seen him directing again. I think that, you know, Permanent Wave being his first directorial effort is, is a very good episode of Quantum Leap. Um, Roberto, I really, really, really like a lot of that episode. I, you can go back and listen to our podcast on that particular episode. I'm not a huge fan of the ending. Um, but this episode, I think, is wonderful. And I think that he does, you know, a, a great job um, keeping it together. Um it was written by Jillian Horvath and Tommy Thompson. Uh, now, it is worth noting that based on what I have read, both in Beyond the Mirror Image and elsewhere, it seems to me that the episode was actually written by Jillian Horvath. Like, she wrote the episode, but that Tommy Thompson made enough suggestions and, and maybe, you know, a couple of line changes here or there to get credit on it as well, but that for the most part it is her episode. Um, but he suggested the setting and uh, adding in Sam's father, um, which are obviously crucial elements to the episode. Um, she had apparently attempted to write a Vietnam episode in season two that did not get made. Um, her other credits uh, include a lot of very bad television, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Um, she, uh, and also one very, very bad movie. Apparently she got the writing credit on Highlander Endgame, which is by far actually not the worst piece of Highlander, but, but probably the second or third worst piece of Highlander. Uh, she was a producer and writer on the new Beauty and the Beast show, uh, Flash Gordon, which didn't last, uh, you know, past a season, Dante's Cove. Um, so yeah. I, I, I'm not going to pull any punches on this one. She's been involved with a lot of really bad shit. Um, <laughs> she did also, however, write six episodes of Forever Night, which as far as like cult TV shows go, I'm, I'm a fan of Forever Night. I think it's a very good show. Um, she wrote an episode of Xena Warrior Princess as well. Uh, now, Tommy Thompson, of course, we know very well. Uh, this is his penultimate episode that he gets credit for. He also goes on to do Blood Moon. Uh, other episodes include Leaping In Without a Net, most recently uh, Nowhere to Run and Deliver Us from Evil. Our air date is December the 15th, 1992. Our leap date is December 22nd, 1971. Sam has leapt into William Willie Walters Jr., and we are in Elk Ridge, Indiana. Elk Ridge, Dennis? Indiana, together. TV Guide away. Description? Yeah. TV Guide <laughs> Description. Sam returns to his hometown in the form of a 
in the form of a young farmer who's joined his brothers in a bank holdup to recoup what had been built from them. Awkward. That that, that didn't roll yeah. off the way a lot of TV guy descriptions uh, do, but uh, right? yeah, there it is. Uh, in other countries, it was called, in Germany, it was called Crooked Business. In France, it was called Fraudulent Action. <laughs> and in uh, Italy, um, it was, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Okay, I will. I'll give it a shot. Terra Promosa, which translated literally means promised land. Exactly. Italy. You know, you us- usually you come through with like the borderline racist problematic something. And this one, you just flat out just called it, for it. You just flat out called it what it's called. Yeah. Uh, but as I joked uh, in last episode, uh, Sam leaps in uh, and, and, and him and his friends, they're already social distancing. So nice. They got their face coverings on, the nice little handkerchiefs that we've so gotten used to in real life these days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, him and uh, a couple of the people who, who we don't know his brothers are his brothers yet. They are, they are clearly holding up a bank. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to go back to in the interest of just being exhaustive and authoritative in our coverage of Quantum Leap is that the TV grad description uses the word bilked. And I just got to thinking, bilked, you know, that's a word that you hear, but, but, but where did bilk come from? For those that don't know, bilk actually originated as a cribbage term in the mid-17th century. It was a way of spoiling your opponent's score. It was looked down upon, and to this day, carries a negative connotation. You wouldn't want to bilk someone out of their property. So, the more you know. That is some heavy, deep diving right there. we got to put that... <laughs> Wow, we gotta we gotta put that out there on the social media, um, right? Uh, right from the get go, and uh, like you mentioned uh, last week, we we already get a, a little bit more of like the like the hometown Sam being home feel, how it's going to tie into his real life by uh, the other character saying in this very first scene, uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says, "Don't don't go soft on me now, little brother." Yeah. Whatever. The important thing is little brother. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a great callback to the Leap Poem Part 1. Um, and I think as the episode goes on, the, the reflections that we see uh, of Sam's own upbringing in the Walters family's um, life, uh, it, it forms a very strong connection for Sam, not only to Willie Walters, who he's leapt into, but the Walters family in general. Um, and, and we see some really uh, great parallels um, that create, in, in my opinion, a strong emotional core for the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. This episode came in um, a lot more emotional than what I remember. And I think mm-hmm. maybe just because watching it now from a grown-up's perspective and not just as a kid's perspective, uh, th- this episode hit me in the feels. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. Uh, I, uh, yeah. And I think, yeah, this, this benefits from, from age and having some life experience now. Uh, yeah, the idea of going home and, and, and regret and final moments not had with parents. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, we discussed that a little bit in our coverage of Leap Home Part One. You know, I think mm-hmm. both of us touched on that, and 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 
Um, honestly, even since we recorded that episode um, many, many, many moons ago, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I feel I feel as though if I were to go back and watch Leap Home Part 1 now, it would hit me even more emotionally, perhaps. Sure. Um, and, I, and I agree completely that Promised Land did the same. Um, it's worth noting that the character that says that to Sam, uh, we come to find out pretty quickly afterwards is Neil Walters, who's played by Dwyer Brown. Um, Dwyer Brown actually is fairly famous for having played, uh, Ray Kinsella or Kevin Costner's character's dad, uh, John Kinsella in Field of Dreams. Um, Ah, which we've seen Field of Dreams footage. That's right. In Quantum Leap, in, in the Leap Home and Play Ball. They use some establishing shots taken from Uh, there. And uh, he actually wrote a book uh, called If You Build It, Ellipses. Um, and uh, the book is about not only Field of Dreams, but fathers and sons and their relationships. So uh, I just thought that was a really interesting uh, um, you know, parallel for this, for this character, playing kind of that estranged father-son relationship in another film, uh, uh, as well as this episode and having written a book on that, I think um, plays nicely, dovetails nicely with the character's arc. Uh, in this particular episode, um, we see some other familiar faces right off the bat. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, we're not a Star Trek podcast, but let's face it. You have to recognize right away that Lieutenant Commander Elizabeth Shelby is present in the bank, played by one Elizabeth Dennehy. Uh, she plays Beth Ryan in this episode. Uh, that last name, of course, will also sound familiar. Brian Dennehy uh, is her father, was her father. He passed away earlier this year. Um, just a towering figure of, of American theater. Oh my God, that is her. Yeah. Watching the episode last night, I was like, why is she so familiar? Because I just recently rewatched Best of Both Worlds a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It, she, she is so different in this episode. So different. Yeah. Like the character that she plays in this episode compared to uh, Commander Shelby is very, very different. Um, but, uh, yeah, cool to see, to see her uh, in, this, in this episode. Yeah. Can I, I want to jump back. Uh, Dwyer Brown, the one yes. other thing that I remember him from, was a little made-for-TV movie in October of 1994 called Without Warning. Okay. Are you familiar with this? Nope. <laughs> it was, uh, I, unless I got rid of it, oh God, I may have gotten rid of it when we moved. If not, I'm sure we can, it's easy <laughs> to dig up somewhere. Uh, it was a made-for-TV movie on CBS in 1994 that was basically kind of a updating of War of the Worlds, but for television. Okay. It started off like your typical bad Sunday night movie of the week, dark, stormy night, somebody coming home or somebody going in to like a bedroom of a couple making love, raising the gun to shoot the couple in bed. We interrupt this movie to bring you special coverage of something, 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 something. And then over the next two hours, we watched uh, the story unfold of asteroids hitting Earth at three different points, but all along the same longitude. And by the end of it, it's aliens, it's the end of the world, it's destruction. People watching the movie actually freaked out, calling news networks, thinking that it was real, not just having the common sense to change the channel. Right, right. (laughs) And see what was going on on other stations. Uh, But uh, Dwyer Brown, he played one of the on-air anchors, like out in the field, 
throughout the uh, throughout the movie. It definitely, if you can find it on the internet somewhere, uh, it's definitely it's definitely worth worth your time because I, I watched it live, not knowing what was going on. Like I knew it was fake because yeah. every commercial break they went into and they came out of, they specifically said, this is a made-for-TV movie. None of what you're seeing is real. Sure. Uh, but it was just absolutely fascinating to watch. That's, yeah. You know what I do, now that you mentioned, I do actually remember that. Um, yeah, I, I, I do actually recall, uh, because it aired around Halloween, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, what I'm reading right now, it aired October 30th, which is the anniversary of, of, of War of the Worlds. That's fascinating. Oh, man. They don't make them like they used to. No. Uh, these days, no. if you wanted to pull something off like that, you'd have to do like a Twitter feed. And, yes, and, yes. And, you know, but, but even then, but even then, you know, with fact checking and Googling, I just, yeah, I, I don't know that you can get something to really, although we do have hoaxes and retweet. I mean, God, it happens every day if you think about it now. People retweeting shit that's not true. Oh, and, God. You know, yeah. yeah. And, I yeah, mean, anyway. yeah. I mean, God, in a world of, of, of COVID-19 and and all the uprising that's happening right now around Black Lives Matter and right. murder hornets and everything. Like, what what are you going to do that's going to top reality right now? No shit. So, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we have Dwyer Brown. We have Elizabeth Dennehy as Beth Ryan. Man, I cannot believe I did not, uh, did not remember her. Yeah. She's got a very Bridget Fonda look in this episode. She did, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So we, uh, you know, we find out very early on. There is, I don't want to neglect him. There is also uh, the third brother, uh, John um, Walters, who is played by Chris Stacy. Um, Chris Stacy has uh, a shorter resume um, on IMDb, but still um, some some stuff, uh, including uh, an episode of Justified, actually, which is oh, wow. anyone who listens to uh, this podcast knows. I, I think that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, so uh, we we also have um, Carrie Young, um, character played by Kelly Overby, who we also learn is uh, having an affair with Gus Vernon um, later on in the episode. Uh, we've also got our, our lovely little old couple, um, Stan and Lila Pierce, played by Charles and Marion Dugan. Um, you mentioned to me, Dennis, off mic, uh, that you recognize them immediately. Yes, something else. They're one of the old couples uh, that they cut to throughout when Harry met Sally. Yeah, and it's interesting that they're a real life older couple. Like from what I've read of when Harry met Sally, uh, if you if you've never seen the movie, th- throughout the movie they they cut to these like little interviews of, of couples like talking about like the first time they met or, or how they ended up coming to be. Married, and they're like they're all old couples. All these very sweet stories. And originally, Rob Reiner he interviewed actual couples, and his idea was to to not have actors, but have actual couples on screen telling their stories. And what he come to found out is that most of them it it just didn't work because these these weren't people who were prepared to be on camera. So basically, like I think he like took those stories, modified those stories, and then he had actual actors come in. And do those yeah. parts. So uh, I wonder if this is one of those cases where it, it was a nice mix of, hey, real people, real story, uh, but also actors. I don't know. I don't know either because this is, that is their first credit on IMDb. So it does almost make you wonder, were they one of the, the, the real life couples that worked out? And and then, you know, they parlayed this into uh, an acting career of their own afterwards. 
Um, because that's another thing that's interesting about the pair of them is that they you know, they came to acting later in life. You know, they were in their late 60s, early 70s by the time they started started working. Um, so I, th- I thought that that was really cool. That's so beautiful. Because at that point in your life, you don't care. You don't give a shit. Right? You're like, oh, yeah, be on camera, whatever. Eat at the craft services table. Get on there. Stay a few lines. It, it, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. It's not my career. It's not my life. It's not my what I hang my hat on for my self-worth. Sure, I'll do that. Right? Yeah, you, you'd certainly would not have the same the same hang-ups uh, that, that you do when you're in your 20s and 30s. Um, we, we, you know, so we learned very early on, uh, Al pops in, um, pretty soon after we come back from the opening credits and, um, gives us kind of the lowdown about the three brothers, um, being in the bank and dying in a shootout and, you know, Sam's there to save them. And when it comes time to tell them where Sam is, there's a little bit of hesitation. Uh, but Al actually comes right out and says that he says you're home. He doesn't say you're in Elk Ridge, Indiana. He says you're home. Um, which is interesting because contrasting that with a leap home part one, uh, when Sam says he's home, Al says, no, no, no. Home is project quantum leap in the future. Um, and so it's, it is interesting that even Al at this point in the series is sort of willing to, you know, to say you're home. Um, and, and then of course, they have to go have a, a bathroom break uh, for further dialogue and discussion. The little bank um, robber's room, yeah. as I'll cause it. Uh, can I say, the, the, the first thing that jumped out to me about Al in this episode is his outfit in this episode is, oh man, it is rough. It is, it is not good. Uh, and then looking at, in Matt's book, I remembered, maybe yeah. that's because Jean-Pierre Dorliac was not the costume designer on this one particular episode, uh, probably because right. he was off. Uh, he was off doing a movie. Heart and Soul, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, so man, somebody they just pulled something out of the closet. But man, somebody phoned it in on this yeah. one because Al's yeah. outfit was just not. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's noticeable too because it's the only outfit he wears throughout the episode. Yeah, not that there aren't other episodes where he only wears like one costume, but y- we're used to seeing Al wear you know two or three outfits over the course of an episode. Yeah, and in this one, he just wears that mustard suit the entire time. It's it's <laughs> I mean it's not especially there, there's one shot later in Gus Vernon's house where they're basically they're showing Al from the waist down because they're really focused on on Sam on the ground, and it's just like oh man the, the way the pants hang. And the, the the fact that the shoes are the exact same color as the pants, oh, it just, we missed you on this episode, Jean-Pierre. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We missed you. Yes, yes. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so we also quickly get uh, Sam remembering quite a bit um, of what is happening, uh, you know, and when they are, uh, realizing that his dad is still alive. That he's home from college for Christmas break, um, you know that 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 he has a chance to to see his family, to see his dad again, uh, and of course Al kind of puts the kibosh on that pretty quickly. But then Sam is almost immediately motivated because he empathizes so much with the Walters family and their current plight. Um, that, as Al puts it, he gets that "I'm going to save the world" look. Yes, yeah, uh, which is a great moment. Yeah, even before that, there's there's another moment of when Sam starts like really questioning like what's going on with the bank, or whatever. Like Al gets that hint that Sam's going to go rogue off mission. Yeah, <laughs> and I really I love those mo- those moments in this episode of like when Sam suddenly remembers something about someone from his hometown, or like when he suddenly 
unexpectedly takes the side of of the Walters. Yeah, loved all of those moments. You know, it is worth noting that the Walters family that the reason why the the Walters boys have you know taken hostages and invaded the bank is that their initial hope was to uh, steal the the amount of money that it would uh, take to repay the loan to, to the, bank. the penny. To the penny, yes. Um, so in order to keep their family's farm, um, yeah. which because of their father's ill health and death and, and kind of taking out this loan um, from Gus Vernon, that uh, uh, they will um, lose the farm and, and in essence lose you know their livelihood along with it. And Neil in particular feels a duty to his recently deceased father um, to keep the farm going. Um, you know, he kind of feels like he has to be the, the, the good son, you know, the one who gets, gets, gets it done. Um, whereas Willie, uh, went off to college and, and is in, in, in some ways, even though he's younger than Neil is seen as being, uh, I mean, even right down to his name, he's the, he's the junior, you know, Neil, the firstborn son, isn't the junior. Um, and, 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 you know, he was seen kind of more as the favored son in, in, in a lot of ways. However, through the course of the episode, we find out he did not make it back in time for his father's death and subsequent funeral, yeah. which parallels Sam's own mm-hmm. experience with his father. Um, and so they've, they've come into the bank and fairly early on, we, we, we learned that the people in the bank have recognized them, know who they are. You know, at one point we even get the line, why don't you take those masks off? We know who you, who you are. are. Yeah. Uh, such a, such um, a, yeah. And Carrie has rung the security alarm, uh, which has alerted the, uh, our police chief. Um, and, and, and that really sets the stage now for, for what's to come. Sheriff Mundy, uh, played by Arlen Dean Snyder. For oh, sure. You don't have anything to add to that? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I was looking up. I, I had jumped ahead of Gus Vernon here. Let's look up uh, Arlen Dean. I mean, he's, he's just got that father look, you know? He's, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, yeah, played, I think he's played a lot of sheriffs, a lot of stuff. Um, he has. In fact, he played a sheriff in MacGyver, actually, just a couple oh, wow. of years before this. Uh, his last acting credit is 15 years ago. Still alive with us. Um, so uh, there's that. And he stays, for the most part, like the entire episode, like he is across the street in the diner. And he's just got yeah. a, like a, 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 a nice little moment with the town, like with the Walters mother, with Billy. There's, after the initial phone conversation, he turns to Billy and he has Billy go do something. And, oh, that young guy who plays Billy, like he's just got two lines. But yeah. watching the episode last night, Betsy was like, that is the billiest Billy who ever billied. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that, in my opinion, is remarkable about this episode is that it constructs this town um, and and these people and these relationships in a really wonderful way Um, because we have a a rather large cast of characters. um, And I think that compared to other episodes where we might deal with a large cast of characters or deal with a town um, that, that these people feel more real and more lived in and the relationships feel stronger. And a lot of that has to do with Sam being our conduit, I think, because he not only is relating to them as Willie, but he's also able to relate to them as Sam. And I think that that, again, really helps to create this strong emotional core and, and, gives me the opportunity to not only care about these people, but in a way care even more about Sam. 
Oh, sure. I mean, because, yeah, you're seeing... I mean, you're seeing the environment where he came from, where he grew up in. And by extension, also, like, his, I think like Scott Bakula grew up in a, like, in the St. Louis area, but in a smaller community. Um, and rereading something even recently, like, you know, from the get-go, Scott Bakula had a, felt a strong connection with Sam because of that small-town Midwest vibe kind of connection. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's interesting that you mention that because uh, I do want to just point out real quick uh, another shout out to the MacGyver Project, uh, MacGyverProject.blogspot.com. Um, Blogspot, you you pure bastion of the aughts. Right. Uh, he um, mentions um, in his overview of this episode um, that uh, one of the uh, issues that he ended up having with a... Uh, this is kind of an odd thing, but but he draws this nice parallel with a episode of the MacGyver reboot, which I have not paid any attention to at all. Um, but in the MacGyver reboot, they changed MacGyver's hometown to being in Northern California as opposed to Minnesota. Anyone familiar with the original MacGyver, however, uh, knows how important his upbringing in Minnesota is to the character. And so he just always found that to be a very odd choice and, and, and really to change the character. And he drew the parallel to say that, you know, because of what we see of Sam's hometown in this episode and the leap home and then hear about it in other episodes, it would be akin to changing Sam's hometown from Elk Ridge, Indiana to Washington, DC. Oh yeah. You know, it just, it just changes the makeup of the character. Uh, and, and I completely agree. And I think that this episode goes a, a long way, you know, kind of to, to what you're saying and, and that connection that Scott had with the role, but also to the connection that we're able to have, um, with Sam and Sam having the connection to his town, not because we're necessarily from small farming towns or whatever, but, but because that it, it is such a strong representation of who this character is, you know, where he came from is so important to the fabric of the character. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, uh, d- dive in more into the, the plot of what we got going on here. Uh, maybe just lay it out here and talk about character moments. Cause this seems like maybe a weird episode to like do a play by play. I don't know. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so we, we, we come to find out that in a couple of years, there is going to be a major shopping mall. It's like the largest shopping mall in the Tri-County area or the Tri-State area. And it comes from Gus Vernon, head of the bank, giving these loans to farms that he knows that they're not going to be able to pay back, foreclose on the farmland, makes a secret deal with a developer, gets major kickbacks. And yeah, uh, the Walter, yeah. the Walter brothers, they're not there to exact justice for everyone because they don't know any of this. Of course, they're just trying right. to, they're just trying to save themselves. But once Al gives Sam that information, Sam's goal is to no longer do what Ziggy says he's there to do, which is to turn the brothers in so that no one gets hurt because in original history, uh, I can't remember which one of the brothers gets shot and killed. Is it, is it? Uh, Neil, that get shot and killed, or which uh, one? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I actually thought it was they. They all got shot. They all got shot and killed. But, okay, um, I thought that was a little excessive, but hey, maybe. Um, right. But once Sam learns this information from Al about the shopping mall and the developer and the and that whole plot, he decides he is out to prove this and maybe not even save the Walters farm. They didn't come right out and say it, but we do know that at some point in the near future. John Beckett loses his farm, 
And so I think Sam thinks that maybe somehow by extension that by saving the Walters farm, he may be able to change history and save his dad's farm. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's worth noting that basically because I tried to kind of nail that down myself uh, in, in, the, in the research that I was able to do online, um, uh, that the consensus, it seems to be that whether or not this is the what what caused John Beckett to lose his farm is up in the air, but that, yes, absolutely, John loses the farm, and, you know, that ends up kind of contributing, being a contributing factor, perhaps, to his death, uh, and, and, and so Sam is seeking to kind of restore that. It's worth also noting that Sam has the line, um, a very impassioned line about, you know, selling off the cows in order to... to yes, help yes, that, oh, that, I love that, that whole is, moment, yeah. Yeah, that is clearly a very personalized thing, so... Uh, I I tend to kind of lean towards the idea that John probably did take out the loan. That 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 one of the farms that Gus Vernon has here is John Beckett, mm-hmm. uh, John Beckett's farm. The the only other thing though that 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 might go ever so slightly against that is that we and I don't I don't know if this is from an episode or from one of the novels, but at one point we do get the information that Thelma lived on the farm for like a year or two after John died. That was in the pilot. Yeah. Okay. The, 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 the first wave of memories that comes back to Sam, like when he wakes up after his first morning, after his first night is Tom Stratton. Mm-hmm. But there's also in that, the discrepancy, cause I think it's, it's established later on that John Beckett dies in 72, but I think in yeah, the pilot, the he says 74. Yep. So yep. maybe we chalk that up to Sam Swiss cheese memory at the time or little changes he's made in history kind of changes history a yeah. little bit in there. Which I'm fine. I'm fine sure. with doing because, I, yeah, I don't think it's I don't, yeah, I don't think it's an essential point. And, and I think that obviously for the dramatic purposes of this episode, it's much more interesting if John does lose the farm. And it also then kind of motivates Thelma moving to live with Katie and Jim in Hawaii as opposed to sticking around Elkridge, you know, it's like, where is she going to go? She doesn't have the farm anymore. John's dead. So, you know, she'll move in and, and, and go live with Katie and her new husband. Sure. And I think it's also worth noting to touch back on Roberto, because we talked about this in, in that episode and the drafts and one of the draft scripts of Roberto, it is established that John did lose the farm at some yeah. point and a conversation that Sam has, uh, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, Sam has with another character in Roberto that ended up getting lost in the final version of what we saw on screen. But we kind of really watched Roberto. It's like even though that that ended up getting deleted, we're we're going to kind of consider that canon that at some sure. point. And I had forgotten that in Promised Land, it was established that John did lose the farm at some point. Yeah. Uh, but I guess while we're while we're here to jump ahead to do a little fan wank. Do you think that there's a chance that Sam indirectly saves his dad's farm as a result of the events of this episode? And by that, he he prevents his dad dying from a heart attack? I would think that it's more likely that he saves the farm, but that his dad still dies. In fact, how's this for Twisted? Are you ready for this? What if Sam's Swiss cheese memory in the pilot is... Both right and uh, wrong. Yes. If his dad actually, if the you know, if if the the farm does get saved and his dad maybe does live a couple years longer, um, because he's got something to live for, if you will, but he still dies, 
and then, you know, and then Thelma stays on the farm for a year or so and then moves off to Hawaii. And, you know, and that comes around, we're jumping all around here, that kind of ties into the theme of the episode because at the end of the episode, we find out that Neil's life is, Neil's life is saved at the end of this episode, but unfortunately, he dies a senseless death six years later being shot in an alley in a robbery in New Orleans. Yeah. And Sam has just enough time to like process that a little bit before he sees his dad at the end of the episode. And then, you know, he runs off to go see his dad. So that kind of ties in the whole theme of, you know, um, yeah, you know, cause quantum leap is very guilty of, uh, like when we save their lives, they live forever. Right, right. You know, probably the worst transgression to this is like when he saved uh, uh, Jesse Tyler's life in in Keller of Truth way back in the first season that they, they have to go so far as to say that Jesse is still alive in Al's time and being over 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on that one. And it, and it's weird because the, we'll talk more about it when we get to the end of the episode. But I do I do wonder a couple of things about uh, Neil. Um, and, and, and what happens post, um, promised land. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we get, um, some other really interesting stuff about this particular side of Sam, um, that we don't always get to, to touch on his, you know, not only does he have the sense of duty to his father, obviously, and the farm, but his sense of duty to just his home and, mm-hmm. and seeing these people. And we get the sense that he does know these people if he doesn't necessarily even remember them. Um, and we, you know, we see so many sides of Sam through the course of the series, the doctor, the scientist, the investigator, the hero, you know, et cetera, the teacher, even, you know, we see all of these roles that he can take on and you know, rightfully so because of his many doctorates, but the side that we, that we do rarely touch on throughout the course of this is the farmer. You know, he grew up a far, a farmer's son, you know, he's familiar with working on a farm. Uh, and, and, and it's really interesting to see how passionate he is about this kind of way of life. And, you know, even today we can, you know, you don't have to read very deep into the news to see that farmers are struggling, you know, that, that it's always been a struggle. Um, and I think that connecting to this episode, even if you're not necessarily, you know, a part of that lifestyle, um, isn't too difficult. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, the, the parallel, um, between that, that we've already mentioned between Sam's loss of his own father and, and, and his father's loss of the farm with the Walters boys, uh, is clearly a motivating factor. And, and, and I just think it's a, it's a well done connection and it never feels, it never feels too ham fisted. You know, it never feels, it just feels right. It feels like, you know, this is it because it's the plight that so many American farmers had found themselves in, it does not feel too far of a leap, no pun intended, for Sam to find himself back in his hometown and having to kind of see the, a similar situation that his father experienced through another set of eyes. And and I, I really, like I said, I mean, I just, I, I really like that. Um, it's also not the only parallel, because we also learned that Neil was in the military mm-hmm. and was able to get out because of what was happening with the farm and his father, sure. mm-hmm. um, which we obviously know that Sam's older brother, Tom was sure. in the Navy. And so again, those parallels just kind of keep driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only thing that has to do with Tom in this episode though, Dennis, we get another really neat tidbit. I had forgotten this. I forgot that they established that Tom 
does come home from Vietnam mm-hmm. because after Leap Home Part Two, like it's never confirmed that he actually lives through the war. But um, but yeah, we got a nice little touch from the Pierces that yeah that yeah one of their boys just came back from Vietnam. Vietnam. It's a, such a good moment. Yeah, it is so sweet. Yeah. yeah, I would have loved it. They'd be like, "Yeah, and the other boy. I mean, yeah, he's book smart, but oh, I don't know about him. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I said, just a lot of great little moments with, with the Pierces, and then we get the the other woman shortly thereafter, like pointing oh. out, "Oh, what's her name?" Uh, I, I took one the of notes. the funniest moments. Oh, not only in this episode, but I got to be honest with you. In for my money, this is potentially one of the funniest moments in Quantum Leap. I really mean that. The patch over the what? eye, Peter Pan. Yep. It, yep. It's so, it's so delightfully awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, and, and the, the best part is, is that you get the setup of, you know, well, she had braces and, you know, she had the patch over her eye. You don't remember. And then all of a sudden Sam has the memory. He's like, the patch. Oh yeah. Captain Hook. Oh, and then, and then it's even better because the sister goes, well, she got the braces off. Still wears the patch. <laughs> <Still>. <laughs> I just, I laughed out loud. I, I just, I thought that was fantastic. You know, I um, will, uh, it, yeah, I, I will agree that this is one of the better moments of comedy in the yeah. show. Because sometimes the comedy feels, sometimes feels a little bit forced, but this is just like very right. nice, very subtle, you know. Put yeah. them in a small town, put them in a rural setting, that kind of comedy just comes right, right? out. Yeah, and, and and you know it also goes to I think furthering that deep connection to this town and to these people that that not only you know Sam has but the viewer starts to have as well, um, and and uh, I, I I think that seeing him connect with them um, is is wonderful because I think it works on three levels. It sees the townsfolk, you know these these hostages basically connecting with the Walters boys who they know aren't horrible people but mm-hmm. at the same time they're the ones you know coming into the bank waving guns in their faces sure uh so it helps the you know the those townsfolk connect with them it helps sam connect with the townsfolk which is really nice and then again like i said i think it helps us as the audience connect you know deepen our connection with sam and connect with these characters um it has just a nice nice impact uh one of the things i mentioned to you before we started recording is that i i feel like the episode feels very theatrical in some ways like this could have been a play you know written in in the 40s or something mm-hmm. yeah um just just due to the nature of of the characters and these moments and these beats that you know that that everyone gets and and also you know we are restricted to uh chiefly a couple of locations with the exception of one scene which i don't think needs to happen but we'll get there <laughs> oh sure sure well should we get to gus gus vernon Let's do it. Oh, my God. I, uh, for some reason, I, I thought I had seen him in a lot more things. Uh, the actor, Jonathan Hogan. Um, mm-hmm. I saw him probably most recently. He had, he was in three episodes as a justice in House of Cards. Yes. Back in 2015. And I, and I think I remembered seeing him in that episode. Like, he jumped out to me then. But he, he's, he's done a lot of stuff here and there over the years. But, uh, but yeah. But, oh, he is such a perfect bastard. Oh yeah, in this episode, yeah, uh, crisp no, I, is a one dollar bill. <laughs> and I think that the nice thing is, is that he he gives when he comes into the diner. I think his role as the heavy is so well defined by having the other uh, patrons in the diner get behind 
Mary Walters, who is the mother of the, of the boys, uh, when she kind of speaks out against Gus. Um, and, and so, but the, the nice thing is, is that as much as I, I, I feel like he does not in those scenes in the diner, he never descends to mustache twirling villain. And I just appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, yes, to, to, to jump ahead to the other scene. And I think you're talking about like, this is the scene that you'd find when it needs, like when Sam goes to his house and breaks in. And when yep. he comes home, I had forgotten that he comes home. Yeah. And there was no need for that. No, none whatsoever. It's because completely you, unnecessary. Because you could have just had, and this is why I remembered it, you could have just had Sam run back into town with the document, present the document to the sheriff, have Gus right there, try to deny it. You know? And furthermore, the, 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 like, the note that I took was, you know, being there with the gun, it feels very contrived. It seems like it's just adding drama for drama's sake. The thing that I had forgotten is that when they do get back, we find out that while Sam's been gone, that there's already been this huge moment that would have added and raised the stakes so much to Sam getting back. Because imagine for a second if we see the shootout in the bank mm-hmm. and we see John get shot, the, the youngest Walter's boy. Mm-hmm. And now Al pops in and tells Sam as Sam is getting these documents and reading through these documents to make sure he's got the right thing. Sam, you've got to get back there right now. John just got shot. He's bleeding out on the floor. And now all of a sudden Sam has this motivation to, you know, haul ass back there without ever having to have Gus burst in him with a gun. It's completely unnecessary. Yeah. It doesn't add anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's adding drama for, TV episode, primetime, cliche. Yeah. Drama sake. But yeah, I've, yeah when, God, when Gus shows up with the gun, I was like, ah, just because someone's a bastard doesn't mean they're capable of holding a gun on someone. Right. And actually say, I'm about to tell him I shot me an intruder. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. It, 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 it really, it, it takes the steam out, in my opinion, as I'm going through this, you know, for whatever for the for the half a cent that my critical assessment is actually worth of this episode. It, going through my assessment of this episode, it takes the steam out of what I otherwise consider to be a really great episode of Quantum Leap. Mm. Um, you know, I want to back up a second because uh, speaking of John Walters, we get a really beautiful scene that takes place between John and Sam. Mm. Um, and it, it is... It, it, it's such a great summation of the relationship between... Neil and Willie and Neil and Willie and their father. And, and, and I, I just, I don't know. It's a very touching moment. And the thing that I think Scott Bakula as the director and and Jillian Horvath as the writer do so well is the focus is not on Sam at all. Mm -hmm. They just basically let John tell his, tell his story. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we get some reaction shots from Sam. Of course we do. I mean, he's, he's our hero, but but it's so much more. It's it's so much more about John and his perception of the, these relationships and events, and it just is a really really beautiful moment in the episode. It is, and another beautiful moment in this episode is is the assist that Beth gives. <laughs> yes, I had forgotten it, and this is like there's a lot of great little like awkward comedy moments in the scene that you, you don't see a lot in, in Quantum yeah. Leap. Uh, but yes, Beth leaving the bank, uh, and, and, and pretending to go into labor and just being so horribly bad at it. 
Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. Her first little ow is just uh, yeah, it's another similar to the moment with uh, the eye patch. It's 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 another moment of just of good humor that's not ruined by trying to be funny. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um yeah. one thing I want to mention real quick, um you know, we spoke about it briefly, but Mary Walters, who's played by Lorraine Vozoff, uh she's not in the episode a ton, but I, I just think she's, I think she's perfect as their mother. You know, she, she's, and as, as a external representation of the sort of dispirited Elkridge community and people losing their farms. Yeah. She makes the brothers more sympathetic. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also known as having played seven of nine's aunt on Star Trek Voyager. Oh, <laughs> very nice, very nice. Also, and I, I got to point this out: look very carefully at this diner scene. Mm-hmm. It's the oh. it, it's the same diner set that we, that we see. Uh, it'll we'll, we'll see it upcoming here in the series finale. But yeah, that's that's the the, the little diner bar set, the quantum leap yeah, diner, <laughs> the quantum the, the quantum leap diner that they that they always use. Yeah, um, but yeah, I didn't I, I forgot that tidbit about her being seven of nine's aunt. Maybe she'll pop yeah. up again in Picard. Probably. Maybe. Probably, probably <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, we get another uh, um, really nice moment um, of tension, which is, you know, I think another reason why we don't need that, that gun-toting villain scene, but uh, between Neil and Willie um, that we kind of skipped over uh where Neil is just kind of egging Willie on for, you know, having not been there while where Sam is trying to kind of say, hey, you know, that we've got to do this, we need to do this. And Neil is 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 I think taking umbrage to that, being the oldest brother, wanting to be the one to kind of save the day and feel his ego and his pride are hurt by the fact that Willie seems to be more the paragon of the family. So he presses on that nerve for Willie not being present mm-hmm. uh for his father's death and funeral. And Sam flies off the handle and punches him. Yeah. And it's a really, it's, it's, it's kind of a wonderful moment for Sam because we, we see, we see a nerve get pressed for him that we don't often see happen. Yeah. You know, I feel like, I feel like we saw something similar in animal frat when, um, oh, yeah. The, yeah. the one, mm-hmm. you know, college kid is, is, is telling Sam that he doesn't know anything and he doesn't care about Vietnam or any of that sort of stuff. And Sam loses it. And he's, you know, I had a brother die over there. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, um, yeah, it's it's a great it's just a great character moment for for Sam um, that has little to do with you know uh, his mission or anything like that. It's just a, it's a nice moment. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice little moment. Like that's probably like the one scene that I had remembered from this episode mm. previously is that how personal it is and and how like that monologue that uh, that Neil has how it really digs into like he's talking about. Willie's history, but it's so very clear that he is telling Sam's story. Yeah, in in that in that monologue, and like watching his words and the look on Sam's face as it's happening. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I yeah. There's a lot to love about this episode. I. I just. I feel like it works on, on on a couple of different levels, and you know, I. I would certainly say that if you if you were to divorce Sam's own personal involvement and stakes with the situation, that the episode would certainly lose quite a bit. Oh sure. Um. But I think that that's a reason to commend the episode, 
that's not a negative thing about the episode at all. It's it's that the episode makes such wise use of Sam's own personal stakes that the episode is elevated far beyond what would otherwise be just kind of a, you know, Sam leaps into a hostage taker. What's he going to do? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, well, how many episodes have we talked about where Sam doesn't feel that personal connection? Mm-hmm. And it's just like mm-hmm. Sam is in very like workaday journeyman mode of get this job done, get on to the next leap. Yep. You know, I feel like so, that's the bulk of season four. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's good to have those, have those personal connections. Yeah. In the and I, I feel as though if Quantum Leap were to get a reboot, which I'm not arguing for, uh, or, or, or a, a sequel series or whatever, I feel that this would be, we would get more episodes of this nature, dealing with the Sam character and his personal involvement than we would with those workmen, you know, punching in Feel. time clock. This is how I, yeah. Um, I guess I've always felt like if they do a reboot of some sort, like you'll have the leaps, but you may have like some flashback scenes where you show like Sam younger. Mm, you know what mm, I mean? Almost yeah. uh, uh, a little bit like lost maybe in that sure. regard of like you, you kind of see the flashback scenes and you see where he's coming from. Yeah, which uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily in favor of, but also like that—that's the flavor of TV right now. Right, you, can, you can't not have those kind of moments anymore. Uh, right. So yeah, if it, with a reboot, I'm there for it. If it ever happens, I'll watch it. If I hate it, I'll hate watch the hell out of it. Yeah, but yeah. I'll still but I'll still watch it. I'll watch every single minute of every single episode and geek out on it. But right, yeah, bring I, it on, I, Peacock. Bring it on. Well, yeah, right. They'll oh, make man. they'll they'll make Sam like twenty two years old, but <laughs> bring it on. Uh, it is it is unfortunate at this particular point in time. We didn't actually. I don't think we talked about this last go around. Uh, unfortunately, Peacock does not currently have Quantum Leap, and it was one of the shows that I think they had promised. Um, but it is not it is not there now. That could just be that Peacock is currently only available through Xfinity's Xfinity Plex device or whatever. Uh, it is not yet available for the wider market just yet, but I, I got an email from Comcast saying, hey, do you want this device free of charge? We'll throw in you know Peacock for free or whatever, because it's free. The, the commercial-supported version of Peacock is free for all Comcast subscribers, apparently. Um, and you only have to pay five bucks more for commercial free. Uh, this is not an ad for Peacock. This is just informational yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, the thing is, is that as of right now, and maybe it's because the content is not all there yet, but as of right now, Quantum Leap is not available on Peacock, um, which I was a little surprised at. I figured it would be one of the shows they would launch with. Um, Sequest is there. Uh, <laughs> the entirety of Columbo is there, which uh, That's I'm weird. not going to lie. I'm I mean, watching Columbo. I mean, especially since like that article came out saying that Quantum Leap was like one of the shows that they're maybe kind of considering. Like, you'd figure right. they'd, they'd, they'd want to put that out on the platform, just kind of like as a, a, a trial balloon to see, like, oh, uh, how many people actually like log in? How many people actually watch the show? Right. How much interest is is there? Because the other shows that they are doing similar things with, they are there, like Punky Brewster, Say by the Bell, Psych. Yeah. Um, because I wonder it's been if announced it's a, that, yeah, if it's an ownership issue with Universal or, or something like that. Well, no, that's the thing is that because uh, NBC, uh, Comcast, Universal, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is all one thing. Well, then what the all, fuck, like, Peacock? Right. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, 
But anyway, anyway, I'm sure it will be there. And for all we know, it could be there by the time that the, the service launches proper, which I think is like July 15th or something like that, I think is the actual launch date for the, the service. Um, and maybe it'll be uploaded at that point. Um, but neither here nor there. I, I think that if, if it gets done, yeah, I mean, I would, I would absolutely watch it. But it, it would be difficult. I'm not going to lie. It would be difficult for me to watch, mainly because I've seen, you know, so many uh, of those types of shows bungled horribly and also because I have such a strong connection I mean my god we're doing a podcast about it with the original it would be difficult to you know if if it is a straight reboot I would the 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 actors stepping into Sam and Al's shoes like I just it would be very hard for me to watch two other actors take on those those roles and if they change them so much so, in a similar way to like the guy in the MacGyver project is talking about with the MacGyver reboot, if they change those characters, my in my mind, I'm just going to be thinking, why not just make them different characters? Well, true, but I think that it's, I mean, yeah, you could take a MacGyver-esque kind of show, put a different spin on it, not name the main character MacGyver, whatever. If you take the premise of Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap is very unique in what its plot is. Like, if you take the similar plot, you put it on any other characters, whatever, people are going to go, oh, that's Quantum Leap. Like, sure. I mean, they, dealt with, I mean, they, they did that with uh, Source Code. Right, or, right. Or uh, Frequency, which is kind of a little, little somewhat similar. But, yeah. Anyway. Frequency. Man, we don't talk enough about Frequency on this podcast. We could, we could, <laughs> we could you know, when we get through the series, we could just... Do an episode, do it, just some episodes not? of just some of our favorite time travel movies. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't want to get us too much further into the weeds than we already are. But I will say that, in my opinion, and also based on the fact that this is what they're doing for Punky Brewster and Say by the Bell, I would rather see a pseudo-sequel series. It doesn't have to involve Scott Bakula. You know, obviously Dean Stockwell is not, is not going to be involved. But, but... Just it doesn't even have to be revolving around Sammy Joe. Just give me a show that acknowledges Sam Beckett as played by Scott Bakula, and then launches off into its whole new thing. You know, I, I think that that to me, I would be more invested in watching. Um, but then again, who knows? Maybe they'll come through clutch and you know cast the perfect actors, have great scripts tell a really cool story and, and, and I will be able to view a reboot as its own separate thing and enjoy it. You know, I, it's definitely not going to be a Battlestar Galactica situation where the reboot is so superior to the original that, you know, it's, it, it's almost like it's its own completely different thing. But anyway, I don't who, who knows? I, Why not hold out hope? Wouldn't that be a thing? Wouldn't that be, would a be a thing if, you know, if, if a Quantum Leap reboot came out and they did it so fucking well yeah. that ultimately the first series is just kind of look like setting up like right. what, like the greatness before it. We can only hope. <laughs> so back to the episode. Anyway, uh, one thing I want to throw at you real quick, Dennis, um, Sam's, we, we kind of touched on um, Beth leaving and faking uh, her her uh, labor, and that's to get Sam out of the bank so that he can go to Gus's so that he can unlock the lockbox and find these papers. Um, the run back. I think that as much as I don't like the scene in Vernon's house, the scene with Sam running to Gus's farm, mm-hmm. or house rather, is 
is quite wonderful. What do you mm-hmm. think of it? I enjoy it, and I think it's just yeah. for a moment, like, where, like when he realizes he's just like ten miles from from his family's farm. Uh, and, and I do know that in real life, Scott Bakula is a marathon runner. So 10 miles is nothing. Nothing. You know? Um, and, uh, and, I, and I love Al's line. It's like, hey, if you want to keep going, no one can blame you. Yeah, me too. That, I, 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 it, it says so much about Al and so much about Sam and, mm-hmm. their, and also their relationship, I think. Because to me, it's, it's Al's way of saying... You do deserve this. Mm-hmm. I recognize that you deserve this. I know what's there for you. I also know who you are, and I know the answer you're going to give me. Yeah. And and at least that's what I get out of it. Yeah. And so of course Sam, you know, Sam's response is what about Neil and John? And it's just like god damn Sam. Like yeah. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. As always. Um, so, yeah. Right? So, yeah, we get the gun. Yeah, we get the, the mustache twirling gun scene. There are some good moments of comedy, you know, within of, like, Sam, you know, breaking into the house and suddenly through the window. And, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and uh, the, the almost high five after Sam shoots the safe open, which to me, I was kind of like, ah, whatever. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Excuse me. And the high five. We, yeah, we do, you know, again, speaking of moments of comedy, there is also the moment where the sheriff looks in the car for a brief moment and, and, and like, basically, it's like, you, you didn't kill him, did you? Yeah, like, yeah. Is he? <laughs> no, he's just he's, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, and, so, and so we get back and, uh, and, of course, we come back. Um, John has been shot because the, the husband of one of the people held hostage in the bank. He is not happy with the the sheriff's very laid back let's wait and see what happens demeanor he breaks in with a gun and he ends up shooting john it looks pretty bad but of course sam is able to get in and, and get him out and get him to the care that he needs yeah uh, which also leads to a moment of him saving john and also revealing to neil that he's found the papers and and neil kind of getting hit again with Little brother comes in and saves the day once again. But the really nice thing is that Sam has a wonderful moment where he kind of saves Neil as well. Mm -hmm. Because Neil clearly is upset by that. But, you know, then he reveals kind of his feelings about the farm and about their father. And he he has has that line, I love that that old man so much. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's... You know, I wish I would have told him and, and Sam saying you just did. And it's it's just a really nice moment where I feel like Neil gets to he gets to have that release. And he also I think it's absolved a little bit for his pride and, and for that kind of driving the t- the tension and the bitterness between Neil and, and, and Willie. Um and I I, I really I don't know. I appreciated that moment for Neil, and and I thought that you know Dwyer Brown was mm-hmm. excellent because it because it's not you know when you contrast it to the scene with John and Chris Stacy who plays John, it's not it doesn't have that much screen time. It is a smaller moment, but it but it packs in just as much. 
um, and and uh, you know just refocuses the 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 episode on the relationship between these brothers and and what's at stake for them and why they're doing this. Um, one thing that I will say that was slightly like I kind of I kind of like scratched my head at is that when they leave the bank, uh, Mary Walters is in the car with. John, who's like slumped over in the back seat, and you know, the police car is taken off, and all I can think is like, well, he must not have been hurt that bad. <laughs> like, I know they put right? him in the like, back of a cop car. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, did they have enough money in the budget for an ambulance? I, right? I don't know. You know, one thing I'm glad is I, I misremembered what was going to happen in this episode, and I'm glad it didn't happen. I, I was expecting that when when Sam came back with the paper for the developer, I I remembered like the sheriff going, "All right, all right, we'll, we'll look into that." Yeah, and then, and then put Sam under arrest. Right. No, it's I'm it's, glad they it, did it, it, yeah. it's nice because yeah, we get we get a, a, a good sense of closure, and it might be a little unrealistic, but I'll I'll sure. let him fudge this one. But it, we do get a nice sense of closure for Gus and and for the people, uh, and then of course Al, you know, adds on to the fact that you know everybody gets their farms back basically, and um, that that the you know the foreclosures are, are rescinded and. Um, and then we get the information that John's going to be just fine, that Willie's going to be just fine. Neil's going to do five years in jail, and then he's going to kind of roam around for a while. And then, oh, yeah, he gets shot and killed, you know, in a robbery in 1977. And then Sam has this wonderful moment of frustration over that. And, you know, Al even says they can't all be happy endings. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I love about it, like it bugged me at first, but then I kind yeah. of like it, is that... Yeah. Al doesn't have an eloquent response. Yeah. He, do, he can't even simply say they can't all be happy endings. Or maybe he does, but he kind of, he fumbles with they can't all be happy endings. You know, this is what we do. We just go around helping people. I just love that he doesn't have a good answer for it. Yeah. It's interesting to see that Sam's frustrations with this, uh, in, in my mind play really nicely into kind of his overall arc that after doing this for, you know, for the better part of five years, he's frustrated by what he can't do mm-hmm. that, that, that the fulfillment of what he can do, um, is, is, is starting to maybe lose a little bit of its shine for him. Sure. Uh, and then, and then, you know, he, he, he kind of gives himself a well earned cookie. Yes. Before we get to the cookie, I do want to jump back. One character that we totally glossed over, and I don't feel like spending a lot of time with this character, is the character of Carrie, who is, oh, right. the, is the one character in the bank who is sympathetic to Gus. Uh, it is very heavily implied by Beth that her and Gus are sleeping together. And what I yep. love is in this final scene that we just discussed, before we even get to, to Sam and Al's discussion of what, what yeah. ends up happening to everyone, there's this wonderful silent moment no dialogue. It's just panning across of uh, Carrie standing there smoking, leaning against the pillar, and Gus standing behind her, trying to get her attention, like, like, like approval, comforting, something, and Carrie just giving him the cold shoulder. Yeah. And then we pan over. It's like, there's no dialogue, there's no, big, there's no big fallout or whatever. We just know that they're done. Yeah. Like, Gus, like Gus's career is over. And that's established here in what we're about to hear. Gus's right. career is over, and him and Carrie are done. Yeah. And then we get everything. And then we get 
the cookie. Yeah. It, I will say it's a really nice, like you said, it's a really nice piece of storytelling that's that's done with with you know little little effort, just the yeah. camera and and yeah, it's really it's well done. Uh, it, uh, Kelly Overby, who plays um, Carrie, uh, also shortly after this would play Dana Jurgens in the Stand miniseries, mm. um, which I, I you know Stephen King fans that we are, I felt like I threw out there, which is getting a, a like a reboot basically. I guess they're doing a, a, a new. Stand. Oh, I, th- I, th- I thought you were going to say it's just getting more uh, more interest these days with everything that's going on. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> there is that. Yeah. Uh, so the cookie moment. Tell us about the cookie moment, Dennis. Oh, so he spots across the town square. He spots his dad yeah. and runs up to him. And of course, he has the he he forgets that he is who he is. Right. And he's Willie and whatever. And we talked about this off mic a little bit before we started recording. This moment has a lot of heart. And it's yeah. it's really kind of undercut by uh, the badly how how high definition is not flattering to the old age makeup <laughs> for Sam or for Scott Bakula as John Beckett. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I would argue whether right or not that the old age makeup is done better in Only Poem Part One than it is here. It is. I mean, because obviously, like. Like, that was, like, one of the big things on yeah. the poem, you know? And this was obviously, like, like it was a little cookie at the end of the episode. So I'm guessing they probably spent a little bit less time with Scott Bakula right. in the makeup chair. Especially since he also had directing duties as well. Right. And and, and, and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I will say, I would certainly argue, and I, and, I, and I mentioned this to you off mic, and solely because of Scott Bakula as Sam. Not as not as John Beckett, but as as Scott as Sam sells this moment when we you know when he's saying my you know my mom told you to to give you something oh I wish you a Merry Christmas and he gives him the hug. All of that focus on Sam is absolutely perfect. It's exactly what's needed. It's the right choice, and it. I mean, it got me. It got me when I watched the episode. You know, I, I teared up. Um, I, I I think that. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not going to say it's because I'm not seeing the makeup and I'm not seeing the, the actor stand in who is clearly not Scott Pacula. <laughs> you know, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm able to see Scott's face. I'm able to see his emotional reaction to it. But I, I, I still think the moment works. But I, I agree with you that it is it is fairly obvious that the you know, the the makeup and, and, and everything else about the scene might not work as well see yeah that, i mean yeah because the unfortunate thing for me was it wasn't even the makeup it was the fact that the stand-in so mm. clearly like hair uh and jawline are so clearly not scott Bakula. like every time they jumped back and forth between the two i was totally taken out of the scene like i i saw yeah. i saw all the tricks i saw the wizard behind the curtain and i could not mm-hmm. get emotionally invested yeah in, in this moment yeah, I you know, like I said, for whatever reason, it still got me. I don't know why, but it still it still got me because I saw I, I saw I saw the things too. I I, I agree with you. Yeah. I do not I do not deny any of what you said, but it but but yeah, for whatever reason, it's still those bastards, Dennis. Yeah. They still got me. I know, and <laughs> I know. Yeah, and for my money, uh, you can't beat the phone call on the pilot episode. Yeah, the phone. I mean, yeah, you know. 
so much so, to, to loop back to Source Code, I know we've talked about it before. Have you actually sat down and watched Source Code? Not yet. There, I, I need to. to. To loop back, like, there is a scene in Source Code that directly pays homage to that scene in the pilot. Yeah. So much so that Scott Bakula plays the voice of the dad on the other right. end of the phone call. You never see him. You just hear his voice on the other end. And I'm yeah. just saying, like, yeah, the phone call on the pilot gets you right in the feels. Uh, for me, maybe I just shored myself up. I, I, I fortified myself so that I, I wouldn't sure. feel anything. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, all I saw all I saw was the makeup and the, yeah. Uh, so then Sam leaps. I could not remember where Sam leaped into. Me and either. It, I, as he leaped out, I was like, I, oh, God, is it, is it are, we, are we already back to the evil leapers? I couldn't right, remember. Right. Yeah. No, arguably, arguably, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say this now, and then I'm going to watch the episode, and I'm going to feel differently, but I am going to argue that this is probably one of the most forgettable episodes of Quantum Leap, um, because, be, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I, but, yeah, he, he leaps in to a guy at an airport, his family's greeting him, hugs, kisses, you're going to have your favorite dinner tonight, and then just wait to see what's for dessert. And then he's being called to the desk. He goes over to the desk. He's waiting for a message. He turns around. This woman kisses him, who is not his wife. Or is she? Mm-hmm. And then, as yeah. soon as she's done kissing him, turns and says, Kids, daddy's here. And all of a sudden, you realize, Oh, well, yeah. how about that? Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling I'm of a similar thoughts. Similar thoughts yeah. as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it will be, it will be, yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about it. Um, one thing, though, that I will say uh, briefly before we get out of here is that uh, the original leap out of this episode was into the leap back, which I find kind of fascinating. Oh like, can you God. imagine watching this episode for the first time and have never seen Quantum Leap before? And the leap out you get is the leap back. Now, granted, there weren't a whole lot of people tuning into Quantum Leap for the first time in season five. We know that. But if you were watching it the first time, yeah, the original Leap Out was into a repeat of uh, the Leap Back. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I'm sure if they were just tuning in for the first time, they'd be like, oh, I don't what the fuck. I'm, I'm going back yeah. to watch a murder she wrote next week. I don't know what the <laughs> shit this was. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am looking forward um, to talking about this next episode just to see. Hopefully, we'll, we'll find something. We'll find something. Right? I don't know. Yeah. As Betsy and I were watching it, uh, best. Blah, 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 let me try. <laughs> Vocal warm ups. As Betsy and I were watching it last night, she was kind of looking down and not totally seeing it. And when I brought her up, at first she thought like Sam was a bigamist, like in a uh, uh, Salt Lake, Utah kind of way, the way she put it. Yeah. Like in the situation of everybody was in on it. But nope. Nope. He's a bigamist leading secret lives. Yeah. Sure enough. Yeah. 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 I, I, I yeah. I, it's, it, I, I feel like tonally it's a very different episode of Quantum Leap 2. So we'll, it'll be interesting to talk about. I don't remember much about it, to be completely honest with you, which is another reason why I think it's probably pretty forgettable. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember that it is, it is a very different tone um, than, is, especially yeah. than what we've gotten this season. Yeah. I feel like season five up to this point has been, you know, fairly straight, fairly serious. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was one of those things, like if, if they had thrown it in like early season two, 
Right. It would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, yep. I get it. But, yeah, it is so tonally different than the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, two things that I want to mention. Um, I don't know about you and how your Blu-rays were packaged, but for me, this was a momentous moment because my Blu-rays were packaged in such a way that the season five discs, uh, the first two discs of season five are actually in the season four, uh, disc crate clamshell. You are right. Um, yes. Yeah. So when opening the case today, I realized I am opening the final case, oh my uh, gosh. the final season of quantum leap now. And, and the disc putting the disc in, we are in the, the penultimate disc. There's only one more disc after this disc. Um, we are, we are officially, I mean, I think we can safely say we're in the home stretch where we're halfway through season five. No, see, actually for me, um, I've been watching them all online now on oh, okay. on Amazon. Uh, I, I bought season five some point some time ago. Uh, we've lived in our new place for almost a year, and I don't think we've even hooked up our Blu-ray player. Oh wow! All right, yeah, we watch everything mostly on streaming, some sure. things on cable, but uh, but yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I mean, I have moved further and further in that direction as well. There, I, there are still some uh, uh, things that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw a disc in. But um, yeah, for for the most part, even I've, I've even found myself buying um, some things digitally, uh, which would before I wouldn't do, you know. Um, but I'm a fiend for like digital copies. Like if I buy uh, if I buy a Blu-ray these days, it has to have the digital copy. I won't just buy a disc. Um, so yeah, technology, it's where we are. That's, that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, on that note, any final thoughts that we haven't expressed already about promised land? Fraudulent action. I I feel like I, you know, honestly, I gave a lot of my, my summation of how I feel about the episode early on just to reinforce it. You know, I think that this is a quite good episode. Um, I really, really, think the emotional core is strong and that's probably one of the things that attracts me to it uh scott is great in it i think that the direction we didn't even talk about the direction that much but it's worth noting that there are some shots uh throughout the course of this episode that that i think are are fantastic um that help to elevate the episode cinematically when you're just looking at the picture uh, above some other episodes that we've seen it never feels low rent um in spite of the fact that we are obviously reusing some sets we don't have our great costume designer Jean-Pierre with us uh, on this episode, you know, there's, there's, um, it, it still feels, it still feels just very well done. And I, and I think that he deserves credit for that because, uh, knowing where the show was and knowing that the budgets weren't, you know, very high and knowing some of the, the, the struggles, uh, that he obviously would have had both as lead actor and director. Uh, I think he, he acquits himself well. And, and in some ways I think it's too bad that he didn't direct more, um, you know, maybe part of it was just he didn't have the need to. You know, he's such an in-demand actor on television. I mean, the guy's never stopped working. He's not yeah. like some TV actors where it's just sort of like, oh, he was the lead on that one show that one time. You know, yeah. Scott has has consistently been a lead actor on a television program for over 30 years. Yeah, or if not the know. lead, he's been jumping around, you know, as guest stars, in a, you know, like Murphy Brown or Chuck or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. right, yeah. right, right. But, but, but I, those would have been even, you know rare gaps, even shows that weren't successful, you know, like Mr. And Mrs. Smith or, you, sure. you know what I mean? Like he, he still was the, the lead role, men of a certain age. And of course now, you know, in CIS and, and Star Trek enterprise and, you know, I mean, there's, he's, he's just consistently had that. So maybe yeah. he's just been like, 
Yeah. Yeah. What I, I, I love, I think we talked about before, uh, the, the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where the gang runs into him. Oh. And, ah. and, and he's doing and he's doing role play as a, as a janitor. And like one of the characters is like, oh, oh, God, you ran out of Quantum Leap money. That's why you're a janitor, right? And Scott Bakula <laughs> just like, I've been working constantly for 30 years. <laughs> oh, man. I love that he has that sense of humor about himself. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. Well, and it, you know, um, uh, Dwyer Brown was actually interviewed um, by, uh, was it, yeah, um, over at the MacGyver Project. Uh, there's a text-based interview um, that um, uh, Nicholas does with uh, Dwyer Brown. And, of course, one of the questions is, what did you think of Scott Bakula? And, you know, as we have heard and read multiple times you know, very nice. Mm-hmm. It even says that uh, as actors, you know, they became closer when they learned that they both lived in a similar location, that, you know, that, that through the course of playing these roles and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, you can't yeah. say a bad word about Scott. You can't. You can't. You can. Uh, you can. But then but, then you're going to get a knuckle sandwich. But then you're going to, yeah. But not from <laughs> Scott. Somebody else. Because he's too nice. <laughs> he's too nice. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts on this episode is... Uh, Matt Dale, in, in his book, like he talks about, like the unfortunate thing about this episode is that it constantly gets compared to the other Christmas episode, A Little Miracle, and how A Little Miracle is superior, and so it, it's this one kind of gets lost. I don't. I guess it depends on like what mood you're in and what you're looking for. Yeah, I don't know if I think A Little Miracle is a superior episode. To this I don't. Not right here, right now. I definitely don't. Don't. I mean, if you're looking for something yeah. fun, more kitschy, if you're really more like in like the Christmas, a Christmas carol kind of mood, sure. Uh, right. But at, like right now in this moment, I kind of think this is the better Christmas episode. Yep. It has little to do with Christmas. It happens to take place at Christmas. Right, right. But, yes. It's also an episode about gifts. Sam is able to give the gift of land back to the people. yes. Sam gets the gift of seeing his father again. Yes, and it is good. Al gets the gift of that land. suit. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. I can't believe we went an entire episode without mentioning Sam's proto-MAGA hat. Oh, God, I did. <laughs> I did notice that, too. I just wasn't going to. Yes. What kind of world are we living in where we can't see a dude in a red cap that has literally nothing on it, but just a red cap like that and not immediately just be like, ah, fuck. You know, I, I got to tell you, um, I had a red cap left over from the last Chicago Marathon I ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, red cap with white text on it. Yep. And at a certain point, I saw it sitting on the shelf and I had to throw it out. Yeah. Because of that reason. Jess's dad had a very similar hat, red cap with white lettering on it. And the first time I saw it, I was just like, Steve. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> no, I think we can firmly say that as, at least as far as hatware goes, right? Trump has the market on red and white now. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we are Fates Wide Wheel. <laughs> we are a Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, if you're a conservative, you probably stopped listening to us a long time ago. No shit. <laughs> hey, that's okay. If you don't like this and if this angered you, um, all that's left is like, burn your phone. It's our computer, true. wherever you're listening to us on this podcast, that, that's what you do. It's just time to like, burn it, destroy it. That's the only way to, to shut us up. Yeah. Delete Fox News. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. I don't know. All right. No, in all seriousness, everybody take care of one another. Stay safe out there. And uh, we will be back next week to talk about a tale of two sweeties. Sweeties. Yes, we are. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Can't see, you'll never know